0: There's this thing people do where shame comes up about something that happened, something they said or did makes them feel embarrassed or ashamed. And instead of feeling that, instead of allowing themselves to, you know, think about that, they make this little switch. And I call this shame shifting. Now, maybe you've done this before. I definitely have. You feel this pang of shame and then so quickly, you don't even know you felt it, you switch to, Blame. And your mind finds someone or something whose fault it is that you're having a hard time. You shift from shame about yourself to blame of somebody else. Boom. Now, right, you're not ashamed, you're mad. And when you've been through a lot of trauma, feeling angry is like medicine sometimes. It's a step up from the lowest moods of depression and shame, or hopelessness even. And our minds don't need a lot of reasons to be angry and to blame other people for our problems. Now, sure, sometimes other people are responsible for our problems, but it can go overboard with shame shifting. That well of shame is like gasoline on the fire of anger. It makes no sense. It's over the top. It's destructive. It's not fair. And you've probably had it done to you too. It's crazy making, right? You get accused of something that's like, what? I didn't say that. You just want me to feel. they say. You never loved me. You think you're better than me. Someone is feeling all these things and they think that you are making them feel that way. And you'll find that when people are making unreasonable accusations, what they're really doing is trying to deflect some shame Now, their shame might be from, you know, like imaginary sources. It might be something they actually legitimately feel ashamed about. Who knows? When they're being hard on you in some way that doesn't quite feel right to you, or they're just so resentful about something, some family thing, something in the news that concerns them, there's a very good chance what's making their anger get that huge like that is a well of bad feelings they have about, In some way letting themselves down actually. So they blame you or they blame people today, they're all like this, they're all like that. They blame anything, anybody else. Now I've noticed generally that when people feel like they've let themselves down, it's a vulnerable moment and it's very tempting to lash out at other people. Letting yourself down feels terrible so like you know maybe you were late to work so you get lost in thoughts about how the place you work is so crappy or you had a bad argument in front of your kids and you get furious at your partner for scaring the kids or you eat a whole thing of ice cream and get mad at your roommate for buying ice cream so one place i see shame shifting is when people try to explain why they struggle to keep friends And they say things like, people are just so selfish these days. I see this in the comments quite a lot, really. And I can see plainly that in our comment section alone, there are thousands of caring, unselfish people. And I can't help but think that people who say everyone is so terrible or everyone they know is a narcissist would have to have an element of shame shifting going on it can feel easier to blame everyone for why friendships aren't working out. But if all my friendships aren't working out, I probably have something to do with it. And things can only get better if I can face myself honestly and try to get some insight about how I might be pushing people away or choosing badly or whatever it is. There's a core shame a lot of us feel that the bad things that happened to us in the past were our fault. And our parents may have told us that, right? You kids, you make my life miserable, and I have to drink because of you, you know, that kind of thing. And kids who don't get loved properly by their parents very often internalize responsibility for that. In kid logic, it makes sense. But of course, when we're talking about parents abusing or neglecting their children, the parents are to blame, clearly. Yes, they might be stressed. Yes, they might have been abused themselves or struggling with their mental health at the time or they were drunk or high or for whatever reason, they couldn't stand up for you or see that you needed protection. But they're still responsible. They had to know that what they were doing is wrong, but they did it anyway. Now, if this happened to you when you were small, the trauma was so far beyond your control, there's nothing you could have done to stop it. Nothing you could have done to prevent all the harm it later caused in your life to the family, to you, to your emotions, to your neurology. The harm was done. But you are not to blame for what happened. And if you haven't internalized that yet, I'm here to help you acknowledge it. You are not to blame for what happened to you. The people who hurt you, they are to blame for that. Now, until you get that in your bones, you might be coping with it by putting a lot of energy into blame. Blame people, blame politicians, blame countries, blame the weather, blame whatever. Blame keeps you from recognizing where your power lies. And it's a kind of learned helplessness. But the reason I want to go a little deeper into the subject of blame is that it has a tendency to fester, to sit there, and without any healing, it can spread and start infecting other parts of your life and your memories. So I had an older brother who died, gosh, 29 years ago. And that was the same year my mother died, but it was about six months later. He was 38 at that time i was 31 and his name was jeffrey and his body just gave out at the age of 38 from years of drugs and alcohol abuse he was into heroin heroin and booze mostly i don't talk about him very much because he was a difficult person i have harsh memories of it he caused a lot of pain for me he was abusive although, you know, there were good times. You probably have those people in your life too. He was funny. He was smart. He loved magic tricks and he always gave family members magic tricks for Christmas and that was pretty fun. But he was really, really sick and he couldn't hold down a job. He got into fights and car wrecks. He hurt animals on purpose. He was thrown in jail a bunch of times for being drunk and disorderly. And he'd clean up a little in rehab, sometimes for a short time, and then he couldn't sustain it, and he'd fall back into his addictions. So he was strongly motivated to try to keep the family together, I remember. And that was a positive intention that he had. But he made all family gatherings so incredibly stressful, sometimes violent. So it was hard to have any kind of relationship with him, not just because of the erratic craziness of the drugs and drinking, but because he was just so obsessed with why he was like this, and specifically what our mother had done to make him this way. And he talked about himself all the time to the point that he was completely like in his own world. And in his mind, you know, nobody else had problems. He had problems, so many of them, with money, jobs, girlfriends, getting along with people. He nearly died in a motorcycle accident one time that left him in a coma for four months. He was hammered drunk when this happened, but he believed that all of this was our mother's fault. And he said he did all this acting out to show her how it felt to watch her, you know, be an alcoholic and act out. And I just thought, well, that's really stupid. And I told him, so (laughs) what good would it do? My mother had her faults, including big faults. And because she was an alcoholic, she wasn't able to take care of us very consistently. And I have childhood PTSD and clearly my brother did too. But my brother would say over and over again, I just need her to admit what she did and then I'll be able to get clean and sober. He didn't just believe that she held the key to his sobriety, it's all he ever talked about. And honestly, it was a real drag when he'd start in on this. I spent a lot of my youth really angry at my mom, but even I could see he was being irrational. Everyone knows that getting sober is an inside job. It's something a person has to do themselves, no matter where the pain in their lives c- came from. You know, that, it, that's the only place where there's control over that. There's nothing another person can say or do to make sobriety happen. Take it from me. <laughs> Honestly, from my point of view, I saw them both. My mom and brother as really difficult people. And the more I've recovered from my own problems, the more I see them as just another couple of alcoholics, who were powerless to stop their drinking and drugs. And for whatever reason, you know, kind of different for each of them, they just couldn't recover. And they both died early as a result. And it's a mystery why some people can recover and others can't, or don't seem to want to recover. It seems like it. So I can't speak for my mother, but my brother talked with me a lot about the hardships of his life with me. And it's true. I was there, we were both neglected and he was outright physically abused. But in his thirties, He was just basically hurting everyone around him. He'd steal my babysitting money when I was 11 and he was 18. I had to stop the car in a big intersection once because he was punching my sister because she said no to his demands that we drive him to buy heroin. We, you know, she's like, no, no. (laughs) And then this violence started. And I could tell you stories and stories and stories, but they're horrible. And he had a list of hundred excuses and these grievance stories he'd tell again and again and again. And before I started learning how to recover, I also made excuses for myself and blamed people for my problems. I mean, that takes a long time to heal from, you know, to start getting some clarity. But before I had any clarity there, you know, still the difference between him and me was, I learned about alcoholism from literature and recovered alcoholics. And I learned that I couldn't change my mom and that in fact she couldn't change herself. And it was so freeing, you know, to just knowing that she didn't ask to be an alcoholic, just like I didn't ask to have CPTSD, but here we were. Of course, there was no name for CPTSD back then. I was just considered crazy. <laughs> but I think she had terrible shame about her drinking and that's why we never spoke openly about it. She didn't apologize. She didn't take responsibility. And it was tragic and it hurt us kids but it wasn't personal you know she had a lot of trouble in her life because of her drinking and you know my troubles from her drinking have ended long ago and i was able to get on and have a life so yeah but she suffered she suffered to the end and when i really got that i felt a lot less blame and this is kind of how that works i felt less shame less shame about myself So everybody is damaged to one degree or another. And I'm not trying to minimize actual abuse, but I'm sure you've noticed, you know, everyone is flawed. And it's easy to think, even as we sit in our own shortcomings, that if we were in another person's shoes, we would be so much different. We'd be so much better. But there are people who probably say that about us. (laughs) And it would be just speculation and just as arrogant, really, to think, oh, you know, if I were Anna, I'd know how to live her life better probably not true. Now people usually know on some level that they're screwing up. I know when I am. And through the years I've been healing from trauma, there's this little sensor in my heart that gets more and more sensitive. When I'm screwing up, something feels wrong. And healing has helped me be clearer now that when something feels wrong that way, I need to stop and get it right. But I didn't always have that. I'd blunder along and walk all over people's feelings. And the wrong feeling I had back then, I'd shame shift. I'd blame other people for making me so sad or mad or lonely or embarrassed. So I get it about alcoholics in my family. They're responsible for what they did, but in another way they aren't to blame. Who is to say that if I had the same DNA and the same experiences that I wouldn't be just like anyone else who struggles worse than I do? Maybe it's not even my brother's fault, but he just couldn't stop doing drugs. And and, and he couldn't stop thinking my mom would one day change and then he would be happy. He did think he was changing the summer after our mother died. He said he felt hopeful that he could finally, you know, feel free to get free, to get sober, to finish school and get a good career. But by October of that year, six months after my mother died, he died too. So the year the two of them died was the year that i was shown the daily practice writing my fears and resentments on paper asking for them to be removed and then meditating doing this routine twice a day and it helped me get free of my own blame scenarios and my shame so that i could see what needed fixing in my own life to have that clarity is so incredibly powerful and that is what empowered me to get to work on changing my life It's no small thing to heal from the past, but it's nice not to think about the past so much. You know, (laughs) it's nice not to feel angry about what happened and just to have space, to have a life, to be in present time, to feel free. So I'm free to try to shape my life in good ways. And I do try to do that. And mostly what interests me now is showing other people how to get free too. And that's what I hope I'm sharing with you now. You can heal shame and you can have your life back